The Magic Book Club Podcast. Hello, thank you very much for downloading the Magic Book Club Podcast. How are you? My name's Tom Price and welcome along. We've got a brilliant instalment for you today. A fabulous author who has had a lot of success and I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome the brilliant Nina Stibby. This is the Magic Book Club podcast. Hello, my name's Tom Price. Welcome along to another instalment of all the best things that are happening in the book world at the moment. And this lady, I'm so excited. I'm excited that you're here, Nina. Oh, good. I'm excited to be here too. Good, good. It's the wonderful Nina Stibby, um, who has got a brand new book out now called Reasons to be Cheerful. Is this just part one? Well, it's it's just Reasons to be Cheerful. Mm. Yeah, but... Come on, that song, because of the song title. Well, look, the interesting thing is that, strictly speaking, it is the third of a trilogy, although the books stand alone. It's the third of a trilogy? Why didn't I know that? Well, well, because you're not supposed to say trilogy or sequel. Because the book people get upset, yes. Mm -hmm. It's it's known known as the S word and the T word. You're not allowed to say them. So every book is a restart and a relaunch and a whole new thing. stand alone. And if you ever mention those words, your publisher sacks you and you're not allowed. So are these characters appearing in other books before then? Yes, they are. I didn't know that. But you see, I think that's a thing now, that we're very used to having sequels and prequels. And we can cope. Readers can cope with them. This. Yeah. They don't need to have everything starting again from the beginning because you can just dip in. And actually, these books do stand alone. And I'm not sure whether you're aware of my first book, Love Nina. Of course, well, yes. That, that was a memoir, really, in letters. Mm. But this book, in a sense, this new book, Reasons to be Cheerful, is sort of a prequel to that book. Right. Because it sort of is semi-autobiographical, so it's sort of me yeah. in the few years, the couple of years running up to... Coming to London I and see. being in okay. Love Nina. Right, was... right. So this is a sort of hybrid with, with timelines are being messed around with and the memoir versus um, fiction thing is sort of Yeah, I, mean, t- I don't think timelines are being messed with, but in terms of the chronology of my body of work, mm. it would start with my first novel, which was called Man at the Helm, yeah. and my second novel then is the second book, which is Paradise Lodge, okay. and then comes this book, okay. Reasons to be Cheerful, and then chronologically, love Nina. Right. Okay. But there they you go. all stand alone. So we've got the chronology sorted yes, out. Yes. Thank um, God. Let's just very quickly. I've got. I mean, I absolutely loved it. This is the first thing I've read by you. My wife has been going on about you for years. There's so many things. Like this is when you read a great book. There's bells going off, going off everywhere in my head. What I was, did you like? Well, it just reminded me of great books that I'd loved. I, I was I was sort of in the bit of Buddha of Suburbia at times. Yes. Early Kate Atkinson yeah, behind the scenes oh, of the museum. Thank you. Yes. Oh, I love all yes, that stuff. I love that book. And it's it, this pushed a lot of my buttons, mm. right? Um, the main thing I loved about it, the characters are amazing. I love JP, even though oh, he, yes. he's not the most lovable person. Yes. He, well, we love to hate him. Mm, I think so, yeah. We love to hate Tell him. Tell us about JP. How did you, how did you concoct JP, this well, man? Well, as with a lot of my books, it's semi-autobiographical. So I did actually, as an 18-year-old, work for a dentist. And right. I loved the idea of setting a book in a dentist because you get very close to people. If you work for a dentist, if you're an 18-year-old girl and you work for a dentist... You see adults liaising. You see people come in and they're not at their best. No, they're so vulnerable. Yeah, they're vulnerable. They're worried. They're a bit cross. Mm. They're frightened. And then you see this big, powerful figure, particularly in the 80s. Don't forget this book set in the 80s. This very powerful figure who could be incredibly compassionate and decent and good, but also could be a right pig as well. And he had the power to help them. He did. And yet he holds that back so many times for various reasons. For various reasons, he wasn't the most compassionate man. No, I did not like him. And I think that's really shocking for me, uh, seeing 
I came from quite a chaotic childhood, as did this narrator. And you expect adulthood's going to be much more straightforward because you're, you, you're in control and you, you, you know, you're independent. But you learn very quickly that other adults are very complex. Mm. And I was expecting the dentist I worked for just to be this charming man who just did everything right. And he was a doctor. And of course, we all looked up to doctors. We still do. But um, I'm not really going to talk about the dentist I worked for because, of course, this is a work of fiction. Well, this is the problem. (laughs) Is the dentist you worked for still um, alive? He's still with us, I think. And he, you know, he wasn't perfect. And but JP isn't him. Let's be clear. He's been cranked up to eleven. Sure, of course, it's not actually him making that absolutely clear. It's not actually him. Uh But nevertheless, he did like a bit of time under a sun lamp. What I love, I love uh, the sun lamp. Uh, and also pants. wanting to be a mason as well. The oh, desperation yeah, yeah. to be a mason is hilarious. And yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating. Look, the, the 80s, you're too young to remember this, but the early 80s were basically the 70s with technology. Right. And, and so <laughs> people were still incredibly, um, they, they were snobbish. And yeah. they were, they, people were very sort of social climbing uh, not everybody, but a lot of people. Mm. And there was a lot of casual racism and casual sexism. Not even that and, casual. Pretty, yeah, pretty okay. formal at times. Yeah, I'm trying to keep it light. It's comedy. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's, comedy. It's, it's comedy. We're making it sound like yeah. a terrible, deep sort of No, it's not. A no, well, it is. But, it's, you know, sometimes great comedy has tremendous depth. And this yes. has definitely got that. Yeah, well, let's hope so. It were, has. were there lols for you in this book? Yeah, there were lots of lols for me. Um, what I loved about it, though, is that um, everyone has got their foibles. Everyone's got their thing. And that's such a great... Like when books are at their best, you have this sort of uh, surface of people and you can kind of work out vague things about them. But you go straight in there with so much detail and depth and, and I don't know, it just brings it to life so much. Like it everyone, is. you can look at this and go, oh, you know, everyone's, everyone's got weird stuff going on. You're like, yeah, because that's what happens in real life. Yes. Everyone's got yes. weird stuff like yes. diabetic marmalade or yes. whatever the hell it is. Yes. Like there's so much. Yes, it's true. But it's very difficult writing characters that are complex because if you want to signal that somebody's not a very nice man, mm. JP the dentist, for mm. instance, yeah. you, you, if you say anything nice about him or anything sort of ordinary, that can be confusing. So you have it. So getting complex, sort of nuanced characters can be tricky. Yeah. And so I think I was perhaps, I think I wonder if the dentist figure is a bit too dimensional. Oh no, he's not. No, no, no. yeah, yeah. Because he's because he's vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. He He because you feel quite sorry for him. Yeah. You don't uh, hate him because if you hate him, it's just almost a pantomime, and you definitely don't. You you feel sorry for him. His want to become a mason so pathetic. Yeah, it's so pathetic, and he's he'll do anything to become a mason. He'll get married. He'll (laughs) try and get married. And you know, I I loved about him, and you know, about people in general at that time. We he had to be fed his cigarettes. Oh my god, that's amazing. So this character, JP, yeah, he can't dentist. smoke his own cigarettes. He can't hold his own cigarette when he smokes them at tea break because otherwise his fingers will smell of nicotine. It's so repulsive. And we all smoked then. Everybody smoked mm. all the time. And, you know, patients would smoke in the waiting room. And, you know, you'd have to say when they came through to surgery, you'd need to put your fag out. <laughs> and I'd quite often take the cigarette from them. I'll do it. And then I'll have a quick puff. Really? Oh, yeah. We smoked the whole time. When did you give up smoking? Or have you given up smoking? Oh, very much so. Oh, when I got pregnant, you know, yeah. I gave up. And I did Classic. try to take it up again because I felt like me. Mm. Not that I ever smoked all day long, but I was a nighttime smoker. Yeah. Um, so there's there's loads of stuff going on. There's brilliant characters. I love the scene when Jay. We're coming back to JP all the time. I don't you know why. Love him. So I don't know why. It's just in my head. I just think the bit when he announces they're trying for a baby is just oh, yeah. wonderful. Well, you see, in the late seventies, early eighties, we were all bonkers on these test tube babies. Of course. And so the first test tube baby, 
as we called, that's how, that's how we talked about yeah. things like IVF. It's such a gross um, image. Yeah. Because you we, really think that's how it happened, and yeah, it's really not. Yes, but I know, but that's, you know, the first, you know, IVF baby was born, Louise Brown, and we were all bonkers about this and talked about it no end. And the main thing that we talked about, and that my colleague talked about at the time, was if I had a test tube baby, I wouldn't call it Louise. <laughs> What does that mean? Well, they call, well because... it, they call it Hal or Joy or Life. You know, but just to call it an ordinary nice oh, I name. See. Right, it, right, wasn't, right. it wasn't significant enough. Okay. And we'd all, we were, and I remember my mum had this friend who had not wanted ever to have children and just said she couldn't have them. Hmm. And suddenly the, the advent of IVF meant that she could be carted off for fertility tests. Even though she didn't want them? Even though she didn't, she had to, and then she, there was no escape. Hmm. So although it was a joyful, wonderful thing for many people and genuinely, you know, brought hope and joy, yes. etc. Of course, it, it cranked up the pressure. There was the other side of it, which was all these women in their mid-30s that were like, phew, got away with it. And yes. can't now, you know, now got to get into the lab yeah yeah with dr what's his name um and that is a that's obviously a huge part of the book the women in the book are amazing that i mean obviously lizzie's fantastic um so lizzie's basically you yeah. and is so is the mum essentially your mum as well or a version of your mum yeah but i'm not sure whether we should uh, yeah it we, look it i write from my past yeah and yes but I've I've cranked it up. Yeah, okay. I've, yeah, know, of course. Cranked it up. She fictionalized it a little. I fictionalized bit. it. Yeah. Um, so tell us about this this mum character who dominates the book. She sits yeah, across she does. the whole thing. She well, she is a sort of very well educated woman. She's one of the great disappointed that were very well educated only to be married off, mm. and and then their whole lives were just in in fam in in the family. Yeah, and so they were quite frustrated. And my my mum was like that. I think you're probably too young to be of that generation. But women, you know, that had families in the sixties and seventies often were just at home, but had these amazing abilities that they weren't ever allowed to. Mm. Anyway, so my mum was like that, and so the mum in the in the book is like that, and so she's sort of trying to publish a book and she's writing. But she's um, she's quite naughty and unorthodox, isn't she? I think, is this what you're driving at? Her rather predatory... I just think she's a great character. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the predatory thing, which is... It's, it's all hilarious, but um, it's also real as well. Like, it's interesting. Well, and... this, what, what Tom's trying to drive at is that... <laughs> I'm is not, that... Honestly, this is not like a political interview. I don't it's want to get anything too yeah. dark. He obviously is very thrilled that this, this character in the book... She, um, Lizzie, leaves home, leaves the countryside, moves to the city and takes some accommodation that comes with the job, even though she doesn't really want to. But the mother is very keen that she strikes out on her own like yeah. Edna O'Brien's characters do. And that's a really early moment in the book when the mother says, yeah. you go and live in the flat. And, yeah. and that really flicked a switch in my brain because yes. I was like, I'm surprised that character's done that, but now I know exactly yeah. who that character is. Yes, yes. And I did that. I left home on my own, sort of not to go to university. And it's a horrible thing to do. It's so mm. lonely. It's a bad thing to do I went and lived in a bed sit and I was a bit sort of twiddling my thumbs thinking what shall I do now oh yeah. well have at 18 at 17 I did it wow with it your mum a... saying go on go yeah my mum very keen for me to go well because she wanted to she set wanted up a studio get... in the spare room she wanted to get her son into the local nursery and so yes. needed an address and that's was... all in the book yeah. so that's all your yeah, life yeah that really did happen so anyway so Lizzie has moved into this accommodation above the dental surgery and then she changes her mind. She's not happy. Nobody comes to visit. She's really bored and lonely. She tries to go home, but her mum says, no, you can't come home because we're going to get a lodger. Mm. And um, 
and you know, I can't just keep a bedroom for you forever. So we're going to get a lodger, and then actually let Lizzie's sort of boyfriend become the lodger, mm-hmm. and okay. um, and so that's really confusing and odd for Lizzie because she's there living in in the city of Leicester. Yeah. Where her sort of boyfriend that she's sort of pursuing and hoping will develop into a but not formal uh, boyfriend, but kind of just halfway sort of there. Really boyfriend. Are he's they, odd they? as well. He's um, yes. what is it? odd sounds uh, he's, derogatory. He's, he's interesting. Yeah, he's eccentric. Yeah, he's eccentric yeah. and different and mm. unusual. And and perhaps I loved him. And yes, I loved him. But yeah. all this stuff. How much of this stuff is real, Nina? How is that when you come on on things well, like this and you talk about? You know, for me, I've just read. I've just watched a film. This is just a fictionalised well, version. This is just, your life. You know, I'm going to throw this question back to you. Go on. As a reader, and you're yeah. obviously a, a big reader. How important is it to you that this is real or not real? Not because important I, at all. It's not important. Not important at all. So, so it fascinates me that that quite often I plan to to, to play down the realness, mm. not for any other reason. I just think, is it. Is it of interest? Should I not be actually talking about the plot here and the characters? But, you know, the realness. And then I, people sort of, I very quickly reveal that it's quite real. Yeah. And then I talk about myself for an hour. <laughs> I so, love that. You're so, brilliant. It's fantastic. So, I think that, yes, it is quite real, but fictionalised. Mm. Um, so could you imagine next time up, next yeah. book... Is that, yeah. is that in the works? Is there yes, the, it is in the works. So is there is there the idea of completely leaving everything behind and just completely fictionalising well, it? Or is, could you not possibly write like well, that? Well, no, I could. And I have written books like that. And I've sent them to my editor. And she just doesn't mention them. <laughs> so so I think I just I think I might be quite good at writing about things that have a seed of truth and sort of fictionalising yeah. a sort of flowering seeds that are true but i but i am going to really have a go next time i think at okay. making up more stuff and uh yeah because you see, just... why, why wouldn't you you know if you've had a really crazy life i think there has been enough to mine mm. and i've mined it but i think if i run out i'll Stop. You won't ever run out there, will you? There's going to be more. There's going, always going to be more stuff. Well, like the story sure you told me before we even started recording about your husband taking a dog to a funeral today. I know. I mean, that's, that's already in the next book, I isn't know, it? It's wonderful. But this is the thing. You see, I think you can say, you, you know, crazy life or, or mm. all the weird stuff that has happened. Yeah. We've all got that stuff. They that's have, what's so well, brilliant. That's why, writer, I, that's why everyone connects with these well, books. Well, look at a writer like David Sedaris. Yes. So, I mean, he never makes anything up. No. And it just goes on and on and on because he's a he's a sort of unique chronicler. Mm. And I think if you can chronicle real stuff and make it interesting and sort of look from a certain angle and see a certain view of a thing, yeah. then you can make it into a a story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it is. It's a wonderful story, and it's hilariously funny, and it's touching. It's, it's, I'm so glad you like it. And it's mercifully short as well. Come on, Nina, that's so it's good. It's nice and short. My oh, books are always nice and short. I hate long books. It's so annoying when you get a book and you're like, oh, that's a month of my life gone. Yeah. Why do you? Why do people do that? Just chop it in half. Totally. It's totally. because they don't want to have a sequel. Do you know what? I love this one so much. There were times when I put Facebook down and I read this instead. Oh, that is the best so... compliment anyone can pay oh, you. Lovely. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm really thrilled. <laughs> um, so, uh, talk to us about what's next. What is the next plan for you, book-wise? What are you going to do? Well, I'm obviously I've got to publicise this one first. Mm-hmm. I think what 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 I should add at this point is that there's an audio book of this, and I think it's it's available sort of now-ish, read by Gemma Whelan. I know Gemma Whelan. Do you? Yeah. Oh, and I've heard. I haven't heard it all. She's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I've had some really good audio books you know, readers, but it's amazing. She's wonderful. If you like audiobooks and you you like comedy, I think this would be a, a good one. And if you like Gemma Whelan off of Game of Thrones. Yes. 
audiobooks. Do you ever? So, and this is and this is first person, right? So yeah. it's almost just like it's just like a monologue. I mean, yes, it's, great. Um, it leaps off the page. Um, and are you obviously you write other stuff apart from books, right? So you, do you do drama? Do you write like TV scripts and stuff? I What's going on with that? I have written a couple of scripts. Um, Did your editor ignore them? <laughs> well, I have a, I have a different set of people. So I have a producer that looks at the script. So I I wrote a script for Man at the Helm mm-hmm. with a co-writer. Yeah, and we're we're looking. I, you know, we've I'm, it's with a production company, but you know, we're, it's kind of bubbling away. That they with the way these things do. Of course, they have to simmer. Yeah, it's so well. The pro- my problem was that just before my first book was published, I was told Nick Hornby is going to adapt this for BBC Television. Did you have a little sit down when you? Got no, that? because I told my friend John. <laughs> yeah. And I said, oh, guess what? This is so exciting. He said, it'll never happen. Yeah, that's so, so true. So I yeah, went, yeah, yeah. oh, won't it? And he went, no, just put it out of your mind. Forget it. And I said, <laughs> Thanks, John. We all need a John in our life. Yeah. Don't we? Look at that. And I said, well, they're talking about Helen bon- Helena Bonham Carter and this amazing cast. And so I, I, it might happen. He went, no, it, it won't happen. So just shut up about and it. How did John feel when one thing led to another? Well, he happened? said he was protecting me. Yeah. But then when it happened sort of a year later... So then his words now come back to me because I then thought that happened with every book. Mm. I thought with every book I published would suddenly be on the telly yeah, with yeah. an amazing cast and that hasn't happened. No. So I've been a little bit kind of, oh. So, <laughs> so back to John then. Why doesn't Emily Blunt want to do this? <laughs> What's wrong with her? What, can what, I have Blunt's really... number? Give her a call. Yeah, yes. Um, yeah. So, so things are sort of slowly bubbling with, with mm. the... Telly for... And that doesn't affect how you write, does it? You don't then go writing an next novel thinking, oh, could this no. be a good telly? Is this a good film? You don't no, do that. It, that. I don't do that. But what I do do is I send an early draft to that guy, John, that mm-hmm. we now hate. <laughs> and he says, he writes a thing called a screen... What is it? A scenogram. He writes a scenogram for me. Okay. And says, look, this is lumpy here. And if we're really going to care about her... When if she snuffs it on page one hundred and eighty, we need to meet her by about page twenty. Oh, good. Otherwise, how can we care about so her? So John does your maths, does John, your plot yeah, maths. He does my sort of map. Brilliant. Oh, so we he need does it, John. that. John Reed, his name is very, very good at this kind of stuff. Mm. And he's just a pal from mine from our old work when we were both in publishing together years ago. Okay. So and does he, he do that with your books or just with the scripts? Oh, he does it with my books. I send oh, him. Okay. The, I send him an early draft, yeah. and he says. You know, I think you know. Why don't you have that party in a much prettier place so that if it makes if it goes on the telly, yeah. instead of being in a grotty old booth on the Mile End Road, yeah. they're in you know they're at you know Hampstead Heath. Mm-hmm. So he's just sort of clever about thinking about that. But I don't write with that in mind. I'm, I I write about characters really. Yeah. More than. Uh, There's so many good characters in this book. Everyone, like even Danny, the kid, you feel attached to that beautiful description of Danny oh, when Danny. he's just drawing. Was it? He's drawing teapots. Yes. Oh, yes. And it's so simple. So, do you know? You really. I hate. I never say this, but I'm going to say this. You really should go back and read Man at the Helm and Paradise Lodge because if you love these oh, characters, Danny, you see Danny being born in Paradise Lodge. Oh my God! Listen, yeah, you I do. share my. I share my. Uh, this isn't going to help you, but I share my uh, Kindle library with my wife, and she's got them all on our Kindle. Yeah, so. Oh, well, I, I mean, I'm not even going to have to pay a penny for this, Nina, oh, so it's God. an absolute so dream. There's no point me saying any of this, is there? Because it's not going to benefit me at all. <laughs> Zero but pounds you for you, but I, I totally I, will. Somebody read Danny being born at the real Danny's wedding a couple oh, of wow. years ago. How was that? It was really emotional. Your, your life really blurs fiction and uh, yeah, facts. It does. 
but we're not to really talk about that. No, today. I understand why you don't want to talk about it, but it's it's interesting for me, and it just it makes the book come to life even more. Knowing that now that I've read it, it's it's yeah, wonderful. Yeah, well, I just I think you are going to really enjoy the others. It's so nice talking. So I can tell you really like them. I can tell because you're all sort of excited and laughing. Yeah. yeah, this is my this is totally my jam. This is totally my jam. Uh, Nina Stibby's Reason to Be Cheerful is a wonderful book. It's out now. Um, Nina, we always talk about this on the book club podcast. Uh, just sort of the process of writing a little bit. Yeah. You know, how yes. do you find it? Oh, well, I love it. Um, I've always written because I grew up in a house of people who wrote. I thought writing was just the same as, I don't know, sort of bird watching and mm. reading. I thought everybody wrote, so I just did it. And then I did a really brilliant course at Polytechnic and we did a course on autobiography, so we were encouraged to write a bit. And then I got a really good mark for that essay, my only good mark. And, right. And the lecturer said, you know, this is really quite good. So I thought, oh, okay. And there it was. So I wrote a lot of autobiography. And okay. then by accident, Love Nina was published in 2013. So I was able, so I had quite a lot of writing under my belt. What already. were you doing up until that point? I was working in publishing, okay. but not sort of glamorous book uh, novel publishing. I was working in social science publishing. So right. I I, were, I was commissioning editor for okay. education books for a long time. Ah, oh, right. Nice. And I've and I've been a um, in marketing and I've been a book sales rep mm. driving around the country. Right. Hawking with, your wares. Yeah. I've done it all in publishing, yeah. but not sort of penguin type publishing. So it, that hasn't helped me at all. It's hindered me. If anything, it's hindered you because people much. will see you as a certain thing and it's hard to reinvent yourself. Yeah, they think that I know everything and mm. that I get it. So is there going to be, are you going to write a book? Surely if this progression carries on, eventually there'll be a book about... Do we want a book about somebody... About a book? About a book sales rep? Yeah. Driving around. Listen, if you're writing it in a stibby, yes, I do, I want it. Okay, um, thank you, I will then. When you're Top writing, tip. when you're writing, who is, who is the one person who's allowed to interrupt you when you're in mid-flow? Peggy! Yeah, I knew you'd say that! That's the dog, Peggy, right? the dog, yeah. Okay, good. And I only got Peggy because we live in Cornwall, so we've got no excuse not to have a dog. Mm. But I didn't get a dog because... Oh, God, I'm such a downer, but I didn't dare get a dog because I couldn't bear the thought of the dog. My dog is 12. Oh, no! And <laughs> it's really quite stressful. Yeah. What the hell am I going to do? Well, uh, it, I know. Well, mm. I... I then read an article in The Guardian by Michelle Hansen, the wonderful journalist mm. who died fairly recently, who writes a lot about, you know, politics and dogs, or wrote. Yeah. And she wrote about the death of her dog. And I tweeted her and I said, Michelle, this was such a gorgeous piece, but this is why I can't get a dog. Yeah. And she DM'd me and said, very f forcefully, for God's sake, get a dog. The joy... Yeah. Oh, it's worth it. Yeah. Totally, totally worth it. So I then said to my kids, I think we might get a dog. I said, if I ever get a publishing contract, <laughs> we'll get a dog. And right. then I bizarrely did get a publishing contract. So we <laughs> were like, great, get a dog. You so, had no choice. Yeah. So Peggy will be six in on April the 9th. Oh, beautiful. So think Peggy. Of her, okay. She's, so she's in her peak oh, at her, yeah, in her prime. Six is cool. And Cornwall as well. Perfect. Yeah. Place. So Whereabouts in Cornwall are you? Truro. Oh, nice. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. So very nice. So we can walk to the cinema and walk to the woods. You can know, you take so the dog to the cinema? Nice. Is the dog allowed in the cinema? Well, we sneak her in everywhere. Yeah, you do. In oh, Cornwall, you, do. you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> it's, Honestly, it's, it's a rogue just, state. Very, very cool. They've seceded from the nation. But They've got so, their own rules. So my working day does sort of revolve around Peggy. So I take her for a lovely walk in the morning and wake up and have lots of sort of writing thoughts. And then I write for a bit. Yeah. And then I have a cup of coffee about 11. And then I just sort of play around and... And you, that's, so your commute is the is the walking of the yeah, dog. Exactly, so nice. Yeah, exactly, yeah. What yes. a wonderful lifestyle. Um, Music-wise, obviously, we are a music station. We don't just do podcasts. Yes. What's, what's your music jam? Music. Um, 
interestingly, I called this book Reasons to be Cheerful because the book is set in 1980. Mm -hmm. I had just been to see Ian Jury and the Blockheads at Leicester de Montfort. And it was so, it was post-punk and it was all the buzzcocks and all that amazing. Mm. And it was amazing. And Leicester was a great place because these bands all came to the De Montfort Hall and yeah. I had very cool siblings. I wasn't cool at all, but my siblings were incredibly <laughs> cool. And my brothers would say, oh, I'll go and see this band called Joy Division, do you want to come? Because oh, I lived wow. in a bed sit and they could come and just sleep on my floor. And you'd go and watch Joy Division? I'd go and see Joy Division. And, oh, wow. and I, I, I quite like Joy Division and I, I quite like the Buzzcocks. I, of course, I love the Buzzcocks now, but at the mm. time I thought, yeah, they're quite good, but they're a bit self-conscious and right, right, it's right. all a bit serious. And I was quite grown up, you see, because yeah. I was a working lady. yeah. But Ian Jury blew me away. I just stood and stared at him. Yeah. These lyrics about yellow socks and billy goats and cheese and pickle. And, and I just thought, yeah, there's so much to be cheerful about. And, yes. And yet he clearly is furious as well. Yeah, yeah. So he was wonderful. You can be cross and cheerful at the same yeah, time. Absolutely. It's a good combo. Yeah, yeah and, 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 and also when you read, we should all read the lyrics of Reasons to be Cheerful. And then somebody has very cleverly translated them to what they really mean. Because a lot of them are a little bit Cockney rhyming, rhyming slang mm. and they're a bit, you know, you might, there's a couple of, I didn't really know what they meant, but they mean sort of, Genitals and things. I see. Okay. Yeah, sorry. That's um, fine. Genitals <laughs> is a, it's a word. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. No, I'm sorry to, 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 to lower, t- lower the tone. But um, so, so he was great at the time of the book. But nowadays, I listen to a lovely mix of sort of classical and Benjamin Clementine. And, nice. And Magic Weekend Breakfast. Of course, Obviously, yes. Of course, absolutely, yeah. Um, and books wise as well, final, final question. What is your, what's your, what's your Desert Island book? What's the one book, not of your own writing, that you would take with you if you had to go? Oh, gosh, on a Desert run away. Island. Yeah. I'd probably take Arnold Bennett's The Old Wives' Tale. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's going straight on my list. I yeah. Don't, oh, what's... no, it's really good. It's not funny at oh, all. Okay. No, it's that's not right. funny. Should yeah. I have said funny books? No, not at all. Um, It just is a really meaty novel about these two women, two sisters who who grow up in this sort of Midlands town in a shop. And it's it's the turn of the 20th century. And and also these sisters sort of go off and do one stays as a very sort of loyal sister daughter and sort of takes on the shop and. The other one goes and becomes very glamorous and goes to Paris with a man. Oh. And so it's a very clever look at these two lives. And yeah. it's very clever and wonderful. Okay, very nice. So what's that called again? That is... The Old Wives' Tale by gotcha. Arnold Bennett. But it's very old. And I said it to sound clever. <laughs> but in truth, the book I, the book I, would, the book I would advise you to read mm-hmm. is... Well, there are two. There's this writer called Paul Ewan. Okay. He's written two books, one about three years ago and one in the summer, came out in the summer, called Francis Plug. They're both about this character, Francis Plug. Right. And putting up my list Plug, as we speak. Paul he's a Ewan. budding writer and he's trying to write a Booker Prize winning novel. Yeah. And we see him, so it's like a fake memoir. We see him going to book events and the book events he goes to are real. Um, have you read Standard Deviation? Oh, my God. That thing, is the best book ever. The best thing's ever happened to me. Okay, scratch the others. <laughs> yeah, I no, love that. No, I'm not here to recommend she, books. Well, look, she's written others. She's written... She's, she's a genius. Got, yes, she's she's a genius. I want... Your stuff is up there. I, honestly, there's, I can't oh the God. same. No, I totally... They're no. brilliant. They, they are... Oh, that's the best. I think, yeah, all the characters in her books, they've got something oh, about I them. Love, oh, I love that Audra. That character, Audra. Audra. I, well, I, I wrote to her and said, please write a book, another book about, led by Audra, because yes. she's just wonderful. Audra's a great also, name as well. I think Audra, yeah, it's great. And Audra's husband's ex-wife is called Elspeth. <laughs> That's my mum's name. Oh, really? So I like to drag my mum into it. Oh, there you go, really? Yeah. 
you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> Nina's Dibby, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's a wonderful book and it's out now. Thank you so much for joining thank us on the me. Magic Book Club podcast. Thank you, thank you. Uh, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you enjoy it, then do subscribe and do write a lovely review. We like it when you do that. Thanks in advance for that. Uh, and stay tuned. There'll be more of these on the way soon. All the best now. Hold up. 